this morning, at this very moment, there are two particular matters in the heart of God. He is fully aware of this gathering. He is coordinating with all of us that what is his will, his intention, his heart's desire will be carried out a little more today. And the two matters I'm referring to that are in the Lord's heart right now are these. God wants to terminate this age and bring in the kingdom to the earth. God wants this. God needs this because he must have a realm where he can manifest his glory and carry out his will unhindered. And he has determined the earth is where he will do this. And the second matter that is in the Lord's heart is that he wants to save us from this present degraded generation and usher us into the kingdom in the coming age. On the one hand, because he's God, he has determined to carry out his will, to fulfill his purpose, to consummate his economy. But as Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8, in the second part of verse 31, God is for us. Exactly, he said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And before we go any further, anything with the outline, I want to read a few of the verses with brief comments on them that are in the scripture reading. The first is Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And this is Peter proclaiming the gospel for the first time in coordination with the body. And he's speaking to the 3,000 plus that were convicted, they repented, they cried out to be saved. And he said this, or the verse says this, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this crooked generation. Not just be saved from eternal punishment. Not just be saved from the judgment at the white throne. Not simply to be saved, to have eternal life, but another kind of salvation. Something now, something present from the crooked generation. 
And then there's quite a leap to 1 Corinthians 12. But this verse is of utmost importance this morning. Chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and has many members, yet all the members of the body being many are one body, so also is the Christ. The Christ. This is the body Christ, the corporate Christ. And we are, according to God's intention, to be built up as part of the Christ. Then uh, the faithful Apostle Paul, our dear brother, he wrote some things in Philippians that are really applicable to us at the present moment. Chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who operates in you, both the willing and the working, for his good pleasure. And our God is an operating God. He's operating right now. He will operate nonstop if we let him. And he enables us to will what he wants, what we're unable to will. He knows that. He doesn't condemn us for that. He operates in us the willing and then the working according to his good pleasure. That is the desire of his heart. And then uh, just one more verse, and that will be, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, having been divinely instructed concerning things not yet seen, and being moved by pious fear, prepared an ark for the salvation of his house, through which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The general subject, sorry, the, the particular subject is being saved from the crooked and perverted generation to be the corporate Christ as today's ark. Please notice the structure. It's not being saved from the crooked and perverted generation and being the corporate Christ. The goal is the corporate Christ, today's ark. That will be explained clearly in a while. But in order to be that, we need a particular kind of salvation. And day and night, my heart is aching. My heart is burdened for the widespread need, at least I know in this country and in California, the need to be saved from the present generation 
A few years ago, I was spending a weekend in a certain well-known area of the country, and that I've been visiting them usually once a year for more than 20 years. And we had a meeting on Friday night for all the churches in this big area, a very important high-tech area. And so many saints of all ages and so many lively young adults were there. And I made an announcement that I've never done before or since. I said, tomorrow night, Saturday night, we'll be meeting in another location, a larger area arranged by the brothers. And the Lord will release a message of tremendous importance. I'm not trying to draw people to my message, but to the Lord's word. And then 24 hours later, after that meeting, in a convention center, uh, one of the elders, who's also a co-worker, he just told me something. He's so, he said, so many young adults are not in this meeting. And I realized, that's right. I wasn't occupied by that. There's so many middle-aged and older, and then some really younger and this brother, I don't know how or why he did it. He's, he said, I went on this thing called Instagram, something like that. And there were all kinds of messages about where they were. Because Saturday night is their night. No matter what is happening. No matter what the importance of the word may be. No, we are at a professional basketball game. We've got tickets. We're having gourmet meal with fine wine. And then I realized something. And the Lord will bear witness without any condemnation, without any judgment, but a loving concern. A generation is rising up with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. It's what they call balance. And in question and response meetings, especially with this age group, I've been asked a few times, can you explain the balance? They want a balance. Well, almost all of us in the 60s, we were in our middle and later 20s, just becoming parents, having jobs. It never occurred to us. Balance. And so I gave them this answer. You want to know balance? It's in the word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all things will be added to you. And then you go to 1 Timothy, where Paul is instructing the saints to live a normal life. And he said, if anyone is not taking care of his household, his family, 
He's worse than an unbeliever. That's balance. But I give the Lord Friday night sometimes. I give him part of Lord's Day most of the time. Saturday is my enjoyment time. And so Roman numeral one is applied to all of us. But I pray inwardly that the Lord would enlighten all the saints, especially those in affluent countries in California. You got your education. Now you're hired by one of the big tech companies. You can go there. You can almost sleep there. You can have your meals. You start with 100K. Isn't this wonderful? And then you can also have some church life in the way that you called balance. Everyone in the Lord's recovery, I'm speaking only to us, everyone who lives this way in the Lord's recovery will not be raptured along with the overcomers, and they will pass through the great tribulation and be raptured at the end of that time. There's a kind of salvation. From the very beginning, Peter said, be saved, be saved. Primarily for the Lord to be able to fulfill what's on his heart. Now with this background, we can go through the first section rather briskly. It speaks for itself. And in managing the time, I want to focus the burden on the next section. But Roman numeral one is quite a powerful statement. Today, there are only two things on earth. The crooked and perverted generation and the church as the corporate expression of Christ. Only these two things. And some may say, well, what about um, such and such well-known seminary? Well, you have some dear young men and women. They love the Lord. They think the way is to get this kind of education and be a professional. And they may have some outstanding professors. But the thing itself is part of the perverted generation. When Paul in Galatians 1 spoke to us about God delivering us from the present evil age, that present evil age includes all forms of religion. In particular, it focused on that. When in June 1966, during a two-and-a-half-year period in the wilderness after I graduated from the seminary in Princeton, and the Lord brought me through two years of dealing to humble me and to open the way for me to come into the Lord's recovery as simply a brother, I had done quite a study should I make a, 
a lateral move from the Presbyterians maybe to this group or that group. And I remember that Thursday night I concluded the study and I'm sitting at the desk in the main library in Detroit. And then I decided this. It's all the same. I am leaving the entire system. And then we took the move, had the leading to go to California, met some saints in the church in San Francisco, and everything changed. And uh, it's just a fact that um, even the president of the seminary, whom I contacted him years later for the sake of some brothers that needed some professional guidance concerning something. I said, Dr. So-and-so, do you remember me? He said, I remember you very well. I wouldn't say I was a troublemaker, but a lot of stuff happened because we were really seeking the Lord. And so... I know what it is to have been part of that system. And what a drastic difference to be in the church life in the Lord's recovery. And to realize the entire religious system is part of this crooked and perverted generation. And the only alternative to that is the church as the corporate expression of Christ. Notice, doesn't just say, oh, just being in a local church. Because a particular local church may not be much of a corporate expression of Christ. For a period of time, it could lapse into formality. Everything is predictable. It's just an ordinary thing, one way after another. There was one time... I'm being quite transparent here. Around 1983, on a Thursday morning, Brother Lee was having a meeting because on Thursdays, a few dozen dear saints volunteered to come and help pack the books and do practical things. And so Brother Lee was was there fellowshipping, and then he was making it clear he's open for fellowship. And I had the boldness to say something to him. I said, Brother Lee, why do I feel when I am sitting in a meeting on the Lord's Day morning in Anaheim, I am back in the Presbyterian Church? Why do I feel the same? In the sense... What's wrong with me, Brother Lee? And then, several minutes later, after he responded to things, he said, Ron is right. And that led him to his burden to have the God-ordained way. And like I mentioned last night, his greatest concern was that we would lapse into, be part of, organized religious Christianity. And in various places, this is already taking place. 
And so we shouldn't just be quick to say, oh, I'm in a local church, so I'm part of the corporate expression of Christ. Well, the expression of Christ requires the transformation of our soul. That's why we need 2 Corinthians 3.18. We behold with unveiled face the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into his image from glory to glory. The Lord prayed in John 17 that we would be one in the divine glory. This means that only one person is expressed in the church, and that is Christ himself to all the members. And so if we have not been saved in life by self-expression, then we still, we can be in meetings, we can define ourselves and our condition as however we want to do, but if we really want to know the situation and the light comes, you would see you are outwardly in so many things. Intrinsically, you are not yet part of the corporate Christ, the Christ. And God is for us. We're having this meeting this morning, not for all of us to be under judgment is for all of us to be motivated and realize God is for us. He wants to bring all of us, little by little, here and now, into the actual corporate expression of Christ. A, whoever is not in the church as the corporate expression of Christ today is in the crooked generation. So those young professionals who use their Saturday night, they didn't realize it. They're actually part of their generation. And it came down to it. And I'm fully aware, if the trials came, as they came in China, hundreds, hundreds of saints will flee and say, as they said to say in that day, knee, we, we don't know, we don't know him. We really need the Lord's mercy and his grace and his enlightenment, because I repeat again and again, he is for us. We're having these gatherings because of his heart. My heart is just overflowing with the intensity of his loving concern and his burden, that we would be part of the church as the corporate expression of Christ. We're living in this generation. We're not of it. We're not of it. Paul, the Lord prayed, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. No, we have to live our human life in the present system, but we're not of it. We're not part of it. We have both feet in the church life. 
One, as long as a believer in Christ is not built up in the church, that one is in the crooked and perverted generation. Built up in the church. Not just meeting with the church. In various places on earth, there are saints that have been in the church life for 50 years and still are not built up. But they have defined this to themselves. What do you mean I'm not built up? I attend all the meetings. And and, and I'm in all the feasts. And if we can't have them live, I'm, I'm, I'm Zooming. Yes, you are on all of these things. You are serving, you are doing this and that. That is necessary. We appreciate that. But do you want to know your real situation now? Or do you want to find it out later? You can be in the church life outwardly without being built up in the corporate expression of Christ inwardly and intrinsically. If a believer, a child of God, is not in the church, that one is not in the testimony of Jesus. Rather, such a believer is in the crooked and perverted generation of the present evil age. And so many of those young adults that I saw, they don't know where they are. They think they're living a balanced life. Yes, we went to FDTA, and that was beneficial. Now, as we were instructed, because we got a twofold message when we were growing up, we got a twofold message from our own parents. Yes, we are for Christ and the church, but don't be extreme. That's why more resistance for young people coming to the Lord through the full time training is from parents in the church. Can you imagine that? So they grew up with a double message. Instead of saying, we are living for Christ and the church. You know your parents are living for this. We will raise you up. You get the best education. You get to be trained. You get to be developed to live a normal human life. So that you are able to live a genuine church life. I don't understand the so-called balance. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the building first. I don't want to, my heart would ache. I don't want to make anyone feel uneasy, but I have to be transparent with you. I'm not lacking in discernment. I'm not blind. When I realize a situation, I realize a situation. I don't criticize. The Lord will bear witness. I don't condemn. I don't judge. But my heart is bearing them. Do they know where they are? Do they know what they need? It is a great blessing. Day by day, through the precious prevailing blood of Christ, and with Christ as the reality of all the offerings, for us to come to him just as we are right now, like the hymn said, just as I am without one plea. Lord, here I am. 
I want the light to shine now. I want to grow in life now. You know what I need and where I am. I love you. I trust you. I open to you. I turn my heart to you. I consecrate my being to you. Do what you need to do, not just for my maturity in life, but for your body, for the corporate Christ, for your bride, for the kingdom. Be the entire world with its unbelieving and believing aspects is condemned by God. God is using his loving and faithful seekers in his recovery to protest against this trend. Now, we don't go walk in the street with signs and uh, loud instruments, but we are an anti-testimony. Our being is a protest. Our being is a declaration. This is an ungodly, lawless country we're in. California is a degraded state. And we are not here rebelling in that kind of way. We're not anti this or that. We are a counter testimony. Because we are a positive testimony why we are here. And surely there are must be at least a few million dear brothers and sisters in California. Maybe the Lord will lead us to pray for them. Lord, revive them. Enlighten them. Get the New Testament recovery version to them. Lord, bring so many back. These are your sheep. They don't belong in the fold. They belong with the flock. Do this in California. Let that be a positive testimony to the whole recovery. So we have to live here in this situation, but we're not of it. And we are a counter testimony to it because in the positive side, we are becoming the corporate expression of Christ. See, the church as the corporate expression of Christ is a testimony against today's evil generation. Just kind of for the fun of it for a moment, I doubt if this will ever happen. Because now with this all this, this gender stuff, one can be a he in the morning and a she in the afternoon and call me a they and call me a them and please use the right pronouns with me. You know, I just say, okay, I, I want to respect you. Just how should I refer to you? Then I'd like to have my turn. I want you to know my gender. I am a, a son of God. I am a God-man. I am divinely human. So I want you to address me as God-man Ron. Okay? Isn't that fair? I'm in, I'm in the best gender of all. The born-again human beings. Well, probably that's not going to happen because anything that I come up with cleverly, the spirit doesn't agree with. But I thought you might like the end the, the illustration just for a little bit of uh, delight. But our being is the testimony. Our corporate expression is the testimony. The church is the testimony of Jesus protesting against the crooked, evil, perverted generation. 
As the testimony of Jesus, we, the church, as the corporate expression of Christ, stand against the present crooked and perverted generation. I stand against all that is taught in the public schools in the state of California concerning male and female. I'm not going to go to Sacramento and protest to Governor Newsom. Some of you know I have a kind of another way of, I'll share it with you. Lord have mercy on me. Governor Nuisance, okay? I respect the office of governor, but I know what kind of person you are, and I can sense how ambitious your wife is. Okay, you are there. Be assured, I will respect your office, but I'm fully aware that what you are and what you're doing is anti-God from beginning to end. And I and the those that I stand with in the expression of Christ are testifying what's on God's heart and we're standing against the tide in California. But we do this in a proper way. But we're not afraid. We're not going to back down. We know from Hebrews 12, we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. You cannot shake us in this matter. This is an unshakable anti-testimony and a powerful testimony that in the midst of a state like California, the Lord is going to raise up the corporate expression of Christ. He's going to build this ark. And one day you're going to find a lot of people, or you're going to learn a lot of people that were in California for a long time. Where are they? Where are they? Someone who would say, they've been raptured. And now, do you know where you are? You're in the first day of the great tribulation. This will happen. This is actually going to happen. Now we make a turn. The point two, if we would be the corporate expression of Christ in the church life, We need to be today's family of Noah, building the corporate Christ as the ark that will deliver us from the crooked and perverted generation and usher us into the coming age of the kingdom of God. I think it should be obvious that I I owe all of this teaching to Brother Lee's ministry. And much of the content in this section was released more than 45 years ago in the life study of Genesis, an ark. And I just some appreciate Brother Lee speaking these things, knowing, as he said a number of times, it's like playing the violin to cows. You know, you're, you're kind of friendly, you're gentle, you're there, you go, I say something, you know, moo, moo. But he had a view 
that sooner or later we will enter into this. One of the first qualifications of an apostle is forbearance, long-suffering. And now is the time for us to draw upon the wealth of the ministry to open up the word to us because really we want to be the Noah family. This is our family name. I'm Ron Noah. My wife is Tanya Noah. We're all the Noans. And now what we are doing is we're building the corporate Christ, signified by the ark. The ark built by Noah has a twofold significance in typology. First, it typifies Christ himself, the one in whom we were saved and brought into God. But the ark also typifies the corporate Christ, the Christ, that at the end of this age will be used by God to do two things, to rescue us from the judgment coming on this present evil age and to bring us into another realm, the manifestation of the kingdom of the heavens. So just remember the history a little bit. The ark is built. The time has come. There's one door. No one in his family entered in. No one else. Then the flood came all over the earth. And that ark rescued them from the judgment on that generation. You think there were only eight people on the earth who believed in God? That's almost impossible. There must have been a lot of people that at least had some thought about God and believed in God. And then they were in there for a long time, not knowing what the future holds. Then the water subsides and the ark rests on a mountain. And then they find out from sending out birds, right, to see if how everything is. Then when they come out, they're in a new realm, signifying, typifying the kingdom of God. That's what's going to happen to the living overcomers in their Christian life, in their church life, as they're living a human life. They are building the ark. And please take in this thought. They are building themselves into the ark, into the corporate Christ. And at this juncture, I want to share again, as I have a number of times, but if you heard it, I don't think it would be painful to hear it again. Because what Brother Lee said on a Thursday during a lunch meeting, I'll remember forever. I believe even in the new heaven and the new earth, I will remember this. And that is Brother Lee 
asked that there would be a lunch meeting and fellowship with all of those that were serving the ministry in any practical way. Those who would come in to help with packing, brothers that would be in, you know, in ushering and caring for traffic and anyone. And several dozen came. And we enjoyed a simple lunch, but a healthy one. Then Brother Lee said two main things. The first was how much he is thankful and appreciative of the service of all these things, voluntary service. They're not full-time. He knew the ministry can't be carried out without all this help. Then he went on to say this. And he referred to Noah's building the ark, right? 120 years. And this was his thought, and I believe it's accurate. He said, surely there were other people that they believed there was a God. This is still the age of conscience. And it's likely when they see this man doing all this labor that a friend or a neighbor might come on and say, come on, let me help carry this wood in. It's not in the word, but I think it's understandable that it's likely. And he said, those who helped him build the ark never entered into the ark. And this is what he said to the serving ones. After he had already told us, he was thankful and appreciative for our service. He said, you are serving. You're serving the Lord in this way. But I am concerned that you are helping the ark be built. But you yourselves are not building yourself into the ark. You will not be part of what you help to build. What a wonderful, faithful word, a loving word to the serving ones. His care for them. I don't just appreciate that you render me all this help. He's indicating I'm concerned for you. That you will just Continue doing this and not be a part of what is being built up, the ark, the corporate Christ. And so this thought now penetrates this whole section, whether it's literally in words or not. We are building the ark, the corporate Christ, and in so doing, we are building ourselves into it. We're part of it. It's not just an objective thing. The Lord wants to accomplish this. We're going to help him do this. Now there it is. He did it. No, what the Lord wants is the Christ, the corporate Christ, the corporate expression of Christ. And our living humanly, spiritually in the church life, is a living that has the effect and the goal of building us into the corporate Christ.
A, the ark built by Noah is a type of Christ as the salvation of God's elect. The ark that we are building today is the corporate Christ, the church, as our salvation from today's crooked, perverted, and evil generation. And so only the Lord knows. We're not going to make distinctions outwardly. But in the churches, there will be saints who are building the ark and building themselves into the ark. Then there will be what used to be called 50 years ago, Sunday comers. They might have been in the Lord's recovery in another country. Now they're here in affluent California. And so they do their duty to come for an hour on the Lord's Day. And there may be others that are more active in the church, but they're not intrinsically involved. This is the essential matter. And I'm so thankful that we have this ministry of faithful interpretation and application of the word to make this clear. If we're not part of the corporate Christ, we're part of this perverted generation. And that will be tested. And it has been tested. It's not wise for me to go into the details. But when the trials came, that's when so many that were in churches would say, we have nothing to do with that. And with that person, that ministry, no, we agree. He's this. And so the trial will come for all of us. But if we are built into the ark, that trial will be the means by which we're brought out of this age. And then where are we now? We're raptured. Now the great tribulation has begun. The Lord said, dear, welcome to the wedding feast. Now we're on our way to Armageddon for battle. And you are my bridal army. And maybe she'll say, well, dear, what should I wear for Armageddon? Your wedding dress is just fine. That's your uniform. And while the tribulation is taking place on the earth, the parousia, the hidden coming with Christ not alone. He's not coming alone the second time. And surely this is actually going to happen. And with all my heart, I want to be there. And with all my heart, I want you to be there. Because we are about to participate in the greatest dispensational turn the earth has ever seen. And the Lord comes, deals with the Antichrist armies at Armageddon. Satan is bound and cast into the abyss. All human government is abolished. And the kingdom of God is manifested all over the earth. And the co-kings are assigned to various locations. This is actually going to happen. And our life on earth is the bridge between God's eternal purpose planned 
before the foundation of the universe and its consummation. Okay, B, the church life is today's arc to terminate the present age and bring in the kingdom. God wants and God needs to terminate the present age. The Lord desires the family of Noah to build the ark and testify against the age so that he can use them to terminate the age and bring the kingdom age. What a responsibility to use these people in the church life to terminate the age and bring in the kingdom age. Now, for this to happen, something needs to take place in us. And only the Lord's Spirit can cause this to take place. Well, what are you talking about, Ron? We must sincerely desire for this present age to be terminated. We really mean it. And not only those that are 87 or younger, 72, or middle-aged, even some who are 16. They're just 16. But they are absolutely consecrated and love the Lord. And say, Lord, my whole human life is ahead of me. And I'd like to have all that my parents did. But there's something I want more even more than my human future. I want you to come. I want this age to end. I want the kingdom to come. I want to be in the wedding feast. And only the Lord can work this out in us. He knows, and maybe, maybe or maybe not with an endearing smile, when we sang that banner song several years ago, and our prayer is come, Lord Jesus. It's so much, so sweet. We love to sing it. And then we pray, come, Lord Jesus. But the Lord knows that in many hearts, there's a secret word. Come, Lord Jesus, but not yet. Not yet. So don't condemn yourself. If there is a not yet in you, you're human. Of course, you'd like to be married. And you're married, you'd like to be a mom. Of course. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We're not robots. We're humans. But there is a supreme love developing in us. A supreme love. The first love. The best love. And that we just, in the midst of our situation, we can say as never before, Lord Jesus, I love you. I'm in the divine romance. I love you. And I realize the younger ones, they have respect for us older brothers. I know that. But in their heart, they're saying, yes, Brother Ron, 
You are an elderly person, humanly speaking. You've experienced all of these things. But we may not get a chance to do that. Okay, I understand. I'll be like a dad to you, and you can be like maybe a grandchild because the age is so different. Okay, I'll be like grandpa. I understand. I'm not bothered when you think that. But still, the Lord's not going to just rapture those 80 plus. He's going to rapture all the overcomers. And uh, in the 1980s, there was a boy and a real brother, 12 or 13 years old. His father was an elder. He was one of five children. And he was crossing the street on Euclid with his bike. And a car hit him. And he was killed. What a, there's no words to describe the loss. I wrote to the father. And I said, please, please, brother. Don't try to find an explanation. Just let the Lord be the God of all comfort to you. And then at the gathering, at the graveside, some read from the diary of this young brother. And it was astounding. The kind of life he lived at 12. And I dare to say it's my belief I don't overstep the son of man's judgment. I believe that 12-year-old brother will be among the man-child. But then his whole family left the recovery. And so we just long that the Lord would put into the hearts of all the saints a willingness, a willingness for God's good pleasure. Again, I say, he's not judging us because we are humans and we have all kinds of aspirations and hopes and longings, of course. But he wants to operate in us that in the depths of our being, we love him more than anyone or anything or any matter. We love him. Him. A Noah was saved not only from God's judgment, but also from the crooked, perverted, and evil generation. The kind of salvation that Noah built, secured, and enjoyed was not a salvation merely from eternal perdition, but also out of the crooked, evil generation into a new age. Now, although I, along with others, am burdened for so many younger ones to be saved from this present evil age, my focus cannot be on that need. The focus is on what's on the Lord's heart. Ultimately, Every one of us, every young person, will make a decision. They will decide how to live, the way to take, 
that is up to them. We will always bear them in our heart. We'll never give up on anyone. But the focus is not on them. It's on God. It's on the Lord. On his will. On his purpose. His economy. His administration. His longing. I say again, as I mentioned last night, I fully believe when I meet the Lord, if he corrects me, I'll gladly accept the correction. The joy set before you. Maybe the Lord will say, Ron, there's nothing to correct. I showed you what was on my heart. It was her. I gave myself up for her. My bride. I died for her. And it's that joy that motivated me, that joy plus loving the Father and doing the Father's will. That is why at 33 and a half, I was there for six hours. And only the Father knows the suffering. But I did it with joy set before me. And as I'm speaking this, there's a joy to some extent set before me, that wedding feast. I say again, the Lord's saying, well done. Well done, faithful slave. You actually did the Father's will. You finished the course I designed for you. You paid the price. Now, you did all this by grace. Enter into my joy. A thousand years of marvelous joy in the wedding feast. Moses, what tremendous capacity he had. And what kind of position he could have had in Egypt. But then eventually it dawned on him. And he would think, I believe, he would say, I am not an Egyptian. I am a Hebrew. And I will abandon everything Egypt has to offer. And I want to enable these suffering people to be delivered from this. And we know what he did. And... Uh, one Egyptian was beating up on an Israeli man. And so Moses interfered and it was manslaughter. And then two uh, Israeli men were arguing the next day. And one said, you're going to do to me what you did to him. And Moses said, oh, no. So Moses wasn't ready. He needed to go to the full-time training, FTTW, for 80 terms. And when he was 80, then he wrote the sum, human life may be 70 years long. If you're strong, it could be 80. Now he's 80. I think he was saying, bye-bye to the goats, bye-bye to the sheep. I'm not going to be around here. You go, bye, anymore. And then the Lord comes and says, um, now it's ready. But what did Moses do? 
He looked in the realm of the unseen. And he gave up the temporary pleasure of sin in the world and said, I am for this. I'm living for this. And and when the Lord shines into any human heart, they will realize, okay, I'll finish my PhD at UC Berkeley. I'll finish it. I'll write an excellent dissertation. I'll survive the questioning. And then I am going to leave my Tyrian father. I received a a graduation notice several years ago from a brother who was in the training. He met a sister in the training. They got married. He went to a medical school. He had the Lord's leading. Then he sent me a notice just announcing his graduation. Then he wrote on the card, I want you to know I'm celebrating the death of my Tyrian father because he will be a physician living to God. To this day, to this day. And so we are just longing, longing for this realization. I repeat again, those that are raptured are living a normal, practical, daily human life according to their situation. But inwardly, they are mature and ready. Two, we are building in the church life. What we are building in the church life is the corporate Christ, as the ark for our salvation, and for the salvation of the ones under our care. Are there not some ones under your care? Even if you're not clear what to do outwardly, aren't they in your heart right now? There are. It could be a sibling. It could be your parents. It could be some friends you remember from high school that you wish they would be saved. Or some young people in the church. I believe we all will have ones under our care. And it will be so pleasing to God When we contact him and say, Lord, build me, build us into the corporate Christ. And now I'm praying for so many of them. Give them the heart to be built in. Lord, save them from this generation. Bring them as part of the ark into the kingdom. This shows that we have a tender, loving heart. We're not just here for our own Victory at the end. That's so narrow. We can pray, we should pray. Lord, make me an overcomer. Produce me myself as an overcomer. Then keep praying, Lord, for the sake of the body, for the sake of the bride, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of warfare against the enemy. Make me one of these. It's not all about my future. It's about your heart's desire and will. See, the salvation in Philippians 2.12 is the salvation that saves us from the crooked, perverted generation. This salvation is the church as the corporate Christ, whom we are building as today's ark. Now let's pause here. My time is okay. 
I'm going to take 15 minutes more. There'll be 20 minutes for response, at least. What does building mean? What are we doing when we're building? Well, can, can, I, can, can we not all say that from the time we were just a fertilized egg in our mother's womb, and then we were an embryo, and then we were a little baby inside, a real person in the sight of God, not just a thing, a human being. And then how did our body, wouldn't you say it was built up? It was built up by growth. Growth equals building. You see this in Ephesians 4, that we need to grow up into Christ in all things. He's the head. Then up from the head is all that the body needs to build itself up in love. And when we are built up, we learn how God wants us to have relationships in the church life, in the body life. In the body of Christ, there are no direct relationships among the members. Well, what do you mean, Ron? Well, that's a good question. There is no direct natural human contact in the body. All relationships are in Christ and through the head. For more than 27 years, my dear brother Ed and I have been serving together according to our measure in the Lord's ministry while Brother Lee was here and after he went to be with the Lord. And this is how I view this, and I told him, you are a standing board, and I am a standing board. And the humanity of Jesus is our humanity. But it's not the wood that contacts wood. It's the gold that overlays the board. And I am not a complete unit. It's when the two boards are put together, you have a unit. But in 1977 and 78, the church in Anaheim suffered severely in in a way like I've never known before. Objectively, it was with a brother leading rebellion and gathering followers after him. And then he led the division in the summer of 1978. But there was a group of sisters who thought that they were special, and that one of them was the queen. And they had, uh, they built up all kinds of intimate relationships. They even would hold up their wrists and say like this, we are blood sisters. And Brother Lee became fully aware of this, of course. And when the leaders went to see him for fellowship, he said to them, This is cancer. This is spiritual cancer. And cancer is abnormal growth, right? It's growth that just swallows up all kinds of things else. They rejected it. 
And so the Lord had no choice. It was either allow them to stay and destroy the church or remove them. And they were all removed. None ever repented. So we need to be saved. We need an There'll be other occasions when we will have a conference on building somewhere on the earth, probably not here, but somewhere else on the earth, to have the proper understanding of building. It's not being buddy-buddy with certain people. Yes, we will be related to certain ones, but it is in Christ. It is through Christ. It is not a friendship. It's not natural affection. Therefore, it is a means of life to flow into the body. There's no danger of it being cancerous. One, to have the proper church life is not only to stand on the ground of oneness, but also to build the ark, to save ourselves from the present evil generation and bring us into a new age. I remember the days in our childhood, the 1960s, we thought we had arrived our spiritual father, dad, this was bearing us. And we sang this song. We'll stand right here till Jesus comes, standing on the local ground. We'll stand right here till Jesus comes, standing on the local ground. Okay, on and on. We thought, we've arrived. We're in the church. We're on the ground. We're just going to stand here and be raptured. Well, we were all in elementary school. Until we realized, no, the local churches are the procedure for the Lord to build up the universal organic body of Christ. So you need to be more than just stand on the ground. Yes, we're on the ground of oneness, but on this oneness, the organic building needs to take place. We need a salvation that is built not by God directly, but by our daily cooperating with his inward operation, our daily cooperating. The message tonight will have two main sections. The first section is on cooperating. What does it mean to cooperate with God? And what does it mean to limit God. And I'll point this out as the Lord wills and leads. That because we have a will, we can either open the way for the Lord to do something or hinder him. We can pray in a way that opens the way for action, or we can pray what we think are prayers that limit God's action. And so this matter of coordination with his inward operation. So we need to learn what this is. I want to be in prayer meetings. I want to be in the Lord's Day meetings, when in all of us there is an inward operation taking place. And we have been learning how to cooperate with that inward operation. So there is an expression of it. But when I was in organized religious Christianity, there was no such thing 
as an inward operation. If you would use that expression, you would be accused of being extreme or being a mystic or being heretical. This is just something so much in your psychology, but there's an inward operation. So now we have these words on the paper. Here's inward operation. I want to be responsive to God's inward operation. Allow me to say this. The Lord covers me in you. There's an inward operation coming as I'm speaking. There are things that never occurred to me. I never had any leading. But there's an inward operation. I've learned this the hard way by making all kinds of mistakes. But anyway, we're learning. And so... We need to learn what this is, our daily cooperating with this inward operation. I am so thankful, and sometimes I overhear this because it's taking place in part of the house. Some sisters, two, three, four, sometimes several times a week, they're a vital group praying. And I just realized, wow, that is prayer. That is inward operation. That is cooperation. That is responding to the Lord's intercession. That is playing, praying in response to what the Lord is doing inwardly. And you have those few dear sisters, hopefully all over the earth, maybe hundreds of groups. I cannot live. I'm not exaggerating. I cannot live. I cannot function without that kind of supporting prayer that is an instance of this kind of cooperation with the inward operation of God. D, God wants the church, the ark, where we can be saved from today's evil generation. God wants the ark. Then will there be the prayers? God wants the ark. And we will just not have the thought, oh, now I know. I'll add it onto my list in my smartphone. No, I sense something in God, a longing, a desire. He wants the ark. Because he wants to save us from today's evil generation. What wonderful love that is. He knows what's about to come. What we're going through is just a preliminary. When the great tribulation comes, it will be unprecedented. Nothing like the earth has ever seen. And when we are going through, as it was in the days of Noah, prior to the rapture of the overcomers, things will get much worse than they are now. And one thing I determined, this is a little sidebar, but it's applicable. Way last year in early February, Tanya and I had been in Malaysia, and now we were in Singapore, and we learned about the virus. We learned about it, where it came from, what it could do. And I began to study, and I made a decision about this. I will not be ruled by fear. I will do what I need to do as an older person to protect. 
Yes, I will. But I will not be governed by fear. But this whole country is governed by two things now. Fear and rage. Anger. People can be so angry with you. Some of you might have heard. I was in my the office of my ophthalmologist. And I had a mask. But where I was sitting, there was no one nearby. And in front of me was a wall. So I wanted to read some scripture from my phone. And so I lowered it down so my glasses wouldn't get all clouded up. And then an older man, he looked older than I, but I think he was actually younger. And he was very angry. And he came and said, put your mask on. Well, he didn't hurt me, didn't offend me. I just said to him, you, you need to be polite. And then he said, no, I don't. And I said, yes, you do. And so that's an example of what's going on. So we need to be those that are victorious over that. And the way is that we're building ourselves into the ark. Because the Lord not only wants to bring in the kingdom. He wants to save us from this generation and what is coming. That's a father's love. God wants to save us through this ark from the crooked generation and usher us into God's kingdom to fulfill his eternal purpose, to usher us in. What a pleasant word. Here I'm bringing you into a new realm. I know it's brand new. You just let me guide you. Let me usher you in. You're going to be here for a thousand years. Then after that, we'll have one more battle then we're going to be together on a new earth forever. And our married life will be perfect forever. And so this is new. So let me usher you around. God cares. God cares for whether or not we are in the ark, the proper church life. He wants us to be a part of the corporate Christ. Part of the testimony of Jesus. That's why I said in the beginning, it's in his heart. Not just for us, but for you personally. This is in God's heart for you personally. You're here on a Saturday morning because you love him. You want to grow. You want your life to count for the fulfillment of his heart's desire. And he wants to save you through the ark. That's the way. Through the corporate Christ. God cares for whether or not we are in the ark, the proper church life. He wants us, us to be part of the corporate Christ, part of the testimony of Jesus. A very simple prayer. Sometimes the simplest prayers I have are in the shower. Doesn't mean I should spend more time in the shower so I could pray. But sometimes genuine prayers come out and I would pray, Lord, make me part of the corporate Christ. So simple. You don't have to make it complicated. And Lord, make make my wife part of the corporate Christ. Lord, all the saints in Anaheim. I'm not going to go through the whole list again as I did before. A simple prayer. 
That's enough. When your little little girl said, Mommy, I need a new pair of shoes, she doesn't have to go through a long dissertation about it. Okay, dear, now let's go to the store this afternoon. You do need a pair of shoes. You got a hole in those, and you're going to school starting next week. It's so simple. May the Lord simplify us in this way to say, Lord, you don't have to beg. You can just say, Lord, I ask you to make me part of the ark. E, we need to not only preach the individual Christ, but also build the corporate Christ, the church, which is today's ark. Through this corporate Christ, we are saved from the crooked and perverted generation. While the apostles were preaching the individual Christ, they were building up the corporate Christ, the ark, in which they will enjoy God's full salvation. We should be faithful to do the same thing, preaching the gospel and building the ark, preaching Christ and building Christ. Now, the last point is so touching, and it's the perfect way to end. When this ark is built up, the Lord Jesus will return. There will be the expression, and rejoicing in the universe. Lord, the bride has made herself ready. That means the ark is built. She's ready. And he will come. He will return. The Lord has not come back yet because he is still waiting for the ark to be built. How much longer will he need to wait? Sometimes we may pray, Lord, how long before you come? How long? Then he may answer in a good way. How long will it be until you build the ark? You build, I come. I'm coming for the ark. When the testimony of the church in the Lord's recovery is matured, the Lord Jesus will return. So we need to pray for this. Lord, mature the testimony of the church in the Lord's recovery. In China, which may be costly. In India. In Germany. In Brazil. In New Zealand. All over the earth. May the testimony of the church in the Lord's recovery be matured. Then the Lord Jesus will return. And he will return when we have built the ark, when we have built ourselves into the ark, and now we realize inwardly, I cannot live without the life and fellowship of the body of Christ. I cannot live an individualistic, independent life any longer. That's an indicator. You are being built into the ark. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the ark. Praise the Lord.